Room Talk Queens, it's Zach. And Nina, and you've made it to the final episode of our thankful series on Keep It Gay. A musical theater podcast. We're ending the month of musicals we're thankful for with one of Nina's favorite musicals and the inspiration for this podcast, The The Producers. Producers! Yeah, so when we were going through our thankful series, I really thought I would do the musical that kind of kicked us off and kind of started it all. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's one of the reasons why we have this podcast. It's the inspiration for the name of our podcast. Mm -hmm. It's also the only time I've ever gotten detention was because of this musical. Oh my God, I can't wait. Yes. So let's Mm -hmm. jump right in. Nina, tell us your background with the producers. Yes. So I saw the producers, I think my sophomore or junior year of high school when our high school did the annual pilgrimage trip to New York City to see a musical. Mm -hmm. It was the theater department trip and I was all excited for this trip to see the producers. I didn't know anything about it but was a big fan of Mel Brooks comedy and me and one of our mutual friends Courtney Courtney. we went to yeah Courtney Courtney. shout out to Courtney better be listening Courtney (laughs) Um, but we arrived in New York and we had a few hours of free time and we were told to meet back at the theater probably like 15 minutes before the curtain call. So we went, did our thing and I swear to God, we were on time. (laughs) But I think my watch was either behind a minute or the chaperone's watch was ahead a few minutes, but he claimed we were, I kid you not, one minute late to the theater. I remember that. Yep. And he still said, "You, I'm sorry you have detention. So we thought it was a big joke, enjoyed the producers, loved it, thought it was hilarious, got to see it with Hunter Foster, who was incredible yes. as Leo Bloom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, incredible. And then the next day, our drama teacher was like, so what day of the week do you guys feel like having detention? And we were like, uh, I thought that was a joke. Nope, wow. not a joke. So because of the producers, we got detention But I'll always look back on it fondly. I guess my question about that is where was I during this? If you and Courtney were gallivanting around Times Square. Yeah. Did you not go on this trip? No, I definitely did. Because I, the, my background with the producers is the first time I ever saw it was on that field trip. Hmm. Maybe you didn't want me dragging you around to Chachi's I was just about to say that because the first couple of times Nina and I took trips to New York City, I wanted to, because I had an uncle that lived in New York and I had... I thought it was too cool for school. I'd been there, done that, seen everything. So I just wanted to like <laughs> chill and do my own thing. And the, Nina would always drag me around to like the Times Square tchotchke shop so she could buy like magnets and mugs and playbills and stuff. Love a good mug. Oh, uh, God. And so I, I entertained her the first couple of times, but I think probably by the time, was that was what, our junior year? Sophomore? Yeah, I yeah. think it would have been our junior year. Yeah, so yeah, I think by that time, I, I knew I knew what you were going to do, so I probably was avoid. I was probably hiding from you, to be honest. <laughs> you were probably hanging out at the Nuts for Nuts cart, let's be honest. I did then. love the Nuts for Nuts cart. There is, mm-hmm. uh, for those that don't know, there is a nut stand in Times Square called Nuts for Nuts, and being the tiny gay teenage homos that we were, we would always be like, tee-hee-hee, nuts. Nuts and take photos nuts. in front of it. <laughs> yes. So yeah, big fan of this musical. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily one of my favorites, but I always right. hold it a very special place in my heart because I have that memory of being in New York. And also it's, again, one of the main inspirations for this podcast. Yeah, and it's just a classic. It's just a it classic is. musical. It's a classic. There's really something in it for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's just a really fun time at the theater. It's well constructed. Yeah. It's really funny. 
And uh, and it's our namesake. Yeah, let's get into it. Tell me a little bit about the background. Yeah, let's hop right into it. The Producers is a story about a horrible Broadway producer and a con man named Max Bialystok. Mm-hmm. And he gets set up with this really timid accountant, Leo Bloom, and he dreams of being a big Broadway producer. So Max basically hires Leo to help him move some money around mm-hmm. so he can just keep his schemes going. Cook the books. And Leo... Exactly. Cook the books. And Leo discovers that under the right circumstances, a producer could actually make more money with a flop than he could with a hit. Mm-hmm. So they they basically get into this get rich quick scheme by overselling tickets and getting investors and backers to make sure that this musical flops. So how are they going to do this? Step one, they will find the worst play ever written. Step two, they will hire the worst director in town. Step three, they're going to raise $2 million. There's a lot of little old ladies out there. Daddy. Step four, they're going to hire the worst actors in New York and open on Broadway before you can say. Step five, they're going to close on Broadway, take the $2 million, go to Rio. Excellent. Simple, right? Or is it? Sounds like a foolproof plan. Exactly, yeah. What could go wrong? Dun, dun, dun. So the musical was adapted by Mel Brooks and Thomas Mann Mm -hmm. with lyrics and music by Mel Brooks and musical arrangements by Glenn Kelly and Douglas Besterman. It's based off the 1967 film, also called The Producers. If you haven't seen the original Producers, I strongly encourage you to go see it. Zero Mustel, Gene Wilder incredible movie. Just I have a confession. Oh no, you haven't seen it? I've never seen that movie, no. <laughs> now I have a dual confession. Well, have you not seen it also? No, I have seen it and like it more <gasps> than, yeah, not more not more than the stage musical, mm. but I like the movie as it is much more than the movie musical. I'm surprised my grandmother never showed me the producers because she loves Gene Wilder and I've seen Young Frankenstein like a trillion times, so I don't know why oh, she never showed me the producers. Interesting. Come on, Grandma. Come on, Grandma. What you doing? Slacking over there. But yes, so there were some real-life inspirations with this one. Mel Brooks was only 16 years old and was dying to get into show business, and he actually worked for a cash-strapped theatrical producer who'd raise funds by sleeping with his investors, and most of them were elderly women. So again, drawn from some personal experiences there, and he knew a a pair of showmen who— basically kind of failed their way through their career, but made a lot of money basically off a similar, not even scheme, because who knows? I don't know if they were actually trying to swindle people, but it was kind of the same thing happened to these two pairs of showmen that he knew. Maybe they just enjoyed boning old ladies. Different strokes for different folks. Oh my God. But yeah, it had 33 previews and opened at the St. James Theater on April 19th, 2001. Of course, it starred Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, and it ran until April 22nd, 2007. It ran for 2,502 performances. So the producers did have a U.S. tour in 2002 and 2003, had a very successful West End production that went up in 2004, had U.K. tours. We had tours in 2007, 2015, and of course, as we kind of mentioned earlier, the musical movie film adaptation was in 2005. So let's talk Tonys. You know I love this part. How many Tonys do you think it was nominated for? And how many did it win? How many Tonys was it nominated for? And how many did it win? It's a really popular show. So I'm going to say it was nominated for 10 and won seven of them. 
Get ready. Oh, boy. Because this one was record-breaking. <gasps> it holds the record for the most Tony Awards ever won. It outwon Hamilton. Suck it, Hamilton. <laughs> Suck, Suck it, Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. So it was nominated for 15. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, Hamilton was nominated for more, so I can't say it also had the most nominations, mm. but at the time it had, for sure. So it was nominated for 15 Tonys, and it won 12. Dang. And the only awards it... I'm going to just go and say it basically won in every category because the only awards that it didn't win were for actors in the same category. Oh, so it couldn't win. Exactly. So it couldn't win a perfect 15. So it basically got all of the awards it was nominated for. Just some actors didn't win awards. So for in terms of best actor, who do you think won? Nathan Lane or Matthew Broderick? Probably Nathan Lane. Yes, it was Nathan Lane. If Nathan Lane is in a category, you have to give the award to Nathan Lane. Yes. And then if it's best featured actor, do you think it went to Gary Beach, Roger Bart, or Brad Oscar? Oh, definitely Roger Bart. No, <gasps> it went to Gary Beach. Wow. Yeah, Roger Debris. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Bart was so good, though. Uh, I know, okay. but Gary Beach is Roger Debris. I mean, Roger Debris is my favorite character. Oh, surprise, surprise. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, just again, quickly to sum it up, it won Best Musical, mm-hmm. Best Book of a Musical, Best Original Score. Nathan Lane got Best Actor. Best Featured Actor went to Gary Beach. Mm-hmm. Best Featured Actress went to Caddy Huffman for Ula. Ula. Best Director, Best Choreographer. And also, FYI, Best Director and Best Choreographer were Susan Stroman. Best Orchestrations, Best Scenic Design, Best Costume Design, Best Lighting Design. Mm-hmm. So basically, everything. Everything, yeah. No, that makes mm-hmm. sense. It's Like I said, it's a classic. It's a really solid, well-made production. Mm-hmm. And it had all the money and the talent behind it. So, of course, it won a bunch of Tony Awards. Suck it, Hamilton. Suck it, Suck Hamilton. Suck it, Hamilton. <laughs> and I know you're asking, it, of course, won I, 10 Drama Desk Awards. I've never, what are the Drama Desk Awards? I've never heard of them. <laughs> well, let me tell you. It won 10 of them. And it was nominated for 12. And it won the exact, it's kind of like the Tony scenario. It won Everything it was nominated for, the only ones that didn't walk away with were multiple actors nominated in the same category. So again, it basically won every single award it was nominated for in the drama desk. So it took home a bunch of desks. I'm assuming that's the award they give for the drama desk or they just give you a full size desk. It's just like, no, I imagine it's just like a little like that would go in a miniature dollhouse, like a little golden desk. That's what I I bet you Nathan see. Lane could fill an entire dollhouse of office. I, I'm not even going to get that. I'm not. Why are we talking about the Drama Desk Awards? Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's hop into Really Queen Corner. Yes. Really Queen. <laughs> My only one, because like I said, it is such a good musical, is I, I've never quite grasped how they could make more money with a flop than with a hit. Like, Because, I mean, like, I get the concept. Like, they raise a bunch of money from these old ladies. And then when the show flops, they book it out of town to Rio. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I feel like they were going to get caught regardless. Even if the show did flop, like, they probably would have had to give the money back to the old ladies, right? And furthermore, why even put on a production at all? If they're going to go and escape to Rio anyway... Why don't they just say they're doing this musical, get all the money from the old ladies, and then just get out of town? Why would why are, do they have to put on the musical at all? I think it's because Max Bialystok is maybe too well known. 
so mm. he would be easier to track down. It's simply a matter of creative accounting, which was apparently they used that in producers and now they teach creative accounting in law school and call it creative uh, accounting. <laughs> and it's basically okay. moving money around. I think, I don't know anything about being an investor, but I think if you are going to out of pocket invest in something, Mm-hmm. then you're not going to get the money back when it comes to play. Like if you're volunteering right. to be an yeah. investor for something, you're not right. going to get it's the a money loss, back. It's a loss. I get that. But I mean, I guess they would just have to pretend that they sunk all of the money into the show. Yeah. Where is that profit margin for them coming in? Because it does look like a big glitz and glamoury show. So yeah. Again, creative accounting. I think that if anyone ever questioned them that, about it, yeah, they could be like, just, look, we use this money to go to this and this money to go to that to try to like I hide it and shush it up. I feel like creative accounting is just a blanket plot device that they're like, oh, yeah, they figured it all out using creative accounting. But I don't know. I don't buy it. Really, See, Queen? That's I don't funny. Buy I go along with that. No problem. What I personally have a problem with is Ula persuades Leo to take the $2 million and flee with her to Rio. Right. So he does, but then he feels guilty and comes back. Really, Queen? Like, you're going to get <laughs> caught, first of all. I was a little, I couldn't believe he betrayed him in the first place and ran away to Rio with the money. Well, if he I, didn't, you know, then Lathan Lane would never have had that song betrayed, which is one of my favorites. That songs. got him a Tony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, has Leo Bloom never heard of bros before hoes? Right. He just left them high and dry. Speaking of hoes, like I get it, Ula's hot and she's foreign, but in New York City, no matter how hot and foreign you are, you can't just walk into a producer's office and shake your butt a little and get a job. That just is not how it works. That is not how well. it works because I've tried it. I know. Well, just because you failed at it, Zach, doesn't mean Ula can't succeed at it. But okay? I wore an Ula wig. I did the whole playbook. I, I danced and then I danced again and it still didn't work. So didn't work. Yeah. Producers out there, please love me. I know the whole point was to give have that big betrayed song. Yeah featured in the musical but I almost wish that both Max and Leo got caught and Mm -hmm. both went to jail like I could have honestly that part of the musical I could completely cut out I know people really like that song and they like the song that Leo Bloom sings when he comes back into the courtroom I hate that song I mean I'm not a fan of it but people like it you know I'm not saying every I can't speak for the masses but I'm saying I I get why that happens so they can include both of those songs for Mm -hmm. both of those actors but I think I would have preferred the ending a little bit more if they both got caught they both went to jail right that makes and sense. that's that yeah no yeah. I, t- I get that yeah or they both escaped to rio oh that would have been funny and then ula went to jail <laughs> oh i like that too that yeah. would have been a good twist yeah or i like that too oh my god another just another plot twist that i was thinking of what if ula actually worked for the irs oh my god she was like a mole the whole time and that's how they got caught that would be great Oh, damn yeah. It. Oh, man. Wow. Why didn't we write the producers? <laughs> Let's rewrite the producers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Mel Brooks will be fine with it. Yeah. It's that sort of a dirty, rotten scoundrels ending. It is. It is yeah. very dirty, rotten scoundrels. Yeah. I think it's time to jump into the Bradley Award. I think it is, too. Bradley. I have to say, I think the Bradley in this production is is kind of a written Bradley. Okay. And for me, that Bradley is lighting designer Shirley Markowitz. Haha, I almost picked her. <laughs> I think, and I'll tell you why I picked her. Mm-hmm. Again, kind of like I said in 
I forget which musical we were doing when we were talking about sometimes there is no Bradley, but mm-hmm. then an ensemble member just happens to be the Bradley. Right. I think that I would find that in this case of this production, because I don't really think there was a Bradley character in the producers, mm-hmm. but I think Mel Brooks wrote Shirley Markowitz to kind of be a Bradley Yo, just absolutely. in the story of the show, because she comes out during Keep It Gay when all the big gay homos are flouncing about and mm-hmm. presenting. Mm-hmm. And then here she comes big and butch singing Keep It Gay kind of just like yeah. eating up the scenery but I don't think she is a Bradley I think the character is written to be a Bradley because it totally derails the song and yeah. it's <laughs> whoever plays it has to be like the butchest most stereotypical lesbian which is just it's hilarious mm-hmm. and this actually brings me to my Bradley mm-hmm. concept I think and stay with me on this one that like you said there are no bad Bradleys there's no Bradleys. Um, in no badness. I think because <laughs> the point of a lot of the songs in the show are to be the best Bradley you can be. They're making a musical called Springtime for Hitler. Like I think, yeah. I think this show is written to have a bunch of like fun Bradleys. Everyone's trying to steal the scenes from each other. So mm-hmm. my Bradley is actually a good Bradley, and that has to go to Carmen Gia. Oh, because. No, because like I said, it's not a bad Bradley. I think out of all of the people trying to steal the scenes, Carmen Gia does it the best. Okay, okay. By that definition, I agree. Yeah, and that I think the thing that cinches it for me is that moment where he's leaving the room and he's pointing in the doorway and then slowly, slowly bringing his hand back through the doorway. Do you remember that part? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, everything he does, you're right, is extra schmackty. It's, it's extra schmackty and like hammy. Yeah. And even that part, it's like they want to get on with the scene, but you're just sitting there watching his hand slowly sneak behind the doorway. It's so funny. Or when he does his whole yes <laughs> yeah. thing exactly. and then he keeps going. Yeah, oh you're right. He, another Bradley written character. Yeah. Yes, and just for how sure. much fun would that be? be to play oh like, it's such uh-huh. a great role I yeah. love that role I also love that in the musical they call Carmen Gia Roger Debris common law assistant <laughs> yes that's I really love funny. that line so much mm. it's so good yeah Mel Brooks just he gets it he gets where we're coming from absolutely Mel Brooks knows how to keep it gay shout out to Mel Brooks he definitely listens Mel Brooks has made an entire living off of big gay homos let's be honest <laughs> he has he has <laughs> well it's already very gay but how do you think we can make it gayer? And so the rule is when mounting a play, keep it funny, keep it sunny, keep it gay. I've got some great ideas here. I've got some great ideas too. Cool. I'm gonna start off because I just mm-hmm. have one, I have one great idea. Okay. What if instead of the investors in the musical being little old ladies, what if they're rich sugar daddies. I like that idea. And he has to sleep his way through a bunch of rich sugar daddies. That's a good one. Yeah, and then the big little old lady dance number would have to be the big gay homo number because there's just a bunch of daddies on stage trying to out-daddy each other. I like that. That's a great idea. Wow. There's definitely a few ways we can make this gayer. Which is shocking. Shocking. Yes, it's already very gay. (laughs) But again, we can do it. We have the science. We have the technology. Mm -hmm. We can do it. So that's a great way to make it gayer. I also just think it could be gayer if we saw more Springtime for Hitler. Because (laughs) Springtime for Hitler is so gay. I wish. I know we only have... 
X amount of hours in the theater, but I wish we could see more of what springtime for Hitler was. Yeah. Especially when we had this whole big gay creative team working on it, mm-hmm. literally trying to make it gayer, literally right. trying to make the play within a play gayer. Right. So I wish we could see more of that. Yeah, like a four hour director's cut of the producers where they do the entire springtime for Hitler yeah. in the middle I- of the show. <laughs> I wish there was a separate springtime for Hitler. Like, if it was its own thing, I would go and see it 100%. Or they they could do it like they do uh, Angels in America, both parts, where they have, like, it earlier, and then they have, like, a three-hour break for dinner, and then you come back and you finish it. Yeah, I would... I would buy the ticket to that. Yeah. Absolutely. I would also love to see Roger Debris' production team throughout the musical gang thing. Yes, like yes, I yes, wish yes. there were more because they get their big gay reveal in Keep It Gay. But I wish they were peppered throughout the musical. Right. More rehearsal scenes. Tweaking. Yeah. Yes. More rehearsal scenes, constantly making things gayer mm-hmm. and gang things up. Just another way to make it gayer. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's time for the moment of truth, Zach. It's time for... Ladies and gentlemen, every musical theater casting session, there comes a time where the casting directors say, okay, we've cast all the leads, we've cast all the secondary characters, but there were all these big gay homos that auditioned that are really talented and we want to cast them, but we don't know where to put them. Debbie, where do we put the big gay homo? Jonathan, Jonathan, I know you're new, but it's time. You have to figure out where we put all these big gay homos. Steven, Steven, you're a big gay homo yourself. Where would you go? Where do we put them? Now, Nina and I never reveal to each other what we think the big gay homo number is until this, the moment of the big reveal. I wonder what we're going to choose. Me too. (laughs) Keep it gay! Obviously, it's literally written to be a big gay homo number. Absolutely. Honestly, Zach, I think Mel Brooks sat there and asked himself the question, where do I put all of the big gay homos that are going to be in my musical? And he said, I'm going to come up with Keep It Gay. It literally ends with a conga line. (laughs) And more big gay homos just come out of the Mm -hmm, woodworks mm -hmm. at the end. It's, I mean, this is... The pinnacle, pinnacle representation of a big gay homo number. It is the biggest, gayest, homoiest number, definitively. Mm-hmm. And that's why we named our podcast Keep It Gay. Keep It Gay. Hello. Hello. Mm-hmm. Hello. Mm-hmm. If someone doesn't understand the concept of where do we put all these big gay homos, mm-hmm. show them this musical number and they'll go, ah. I, I get it. I get it. I get it now. Yes. Mm-hmm. I get it. And this is a great example of what makes a big gay homo number stand out because there are a bunch of big gay homo-esque numbers in this musical. I mean, all of Springtime for Hitler. There's a bunch of them. All of Springtime for Hitler, yeah. But Keep It Gay is one of those songs where you are sitting in the audience and you're like, oh, that's where they put them. They put them right there. (laughs) And that's what I love about Mel Brooks' comedy too is he knew exactly how to present them like Mm -hmm. how the costume designer comes out in like a big flamboyant purple suit and the choreographer comes out with like a very pronounced bulge and like Mm -hmm. a velour dance suit (laughs) somebody comes out as like a leather daddy it's just great he again he gets it mel brooks just gets it shout out to mel brooks for shout out to mel brooks creating this podcast really (laughs) Mm -hmm. please don't don't come at us though bro don't come at us for any rights (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm willing to fight Bjorn at all, but not Mel Brooks. <laughs> yeah, no. Bjorn, I feel like we could take Bjorn in a fight. Mel Brooks? No. I don't know. There's no taking, there's no taking so. the Brookster. Uh-uh. No, he's too close with Angela Lansbury. They'd team up against us. Oh, my God. I would, I, I would let Angela Lansbury peg me. Anyway, oh <laughs> you heard it here us, first. <laughs> that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again. And remember to like, subscribe, stay tuned for next month where we're doing holiday musicals leading us into the Christmas season. And everyone, while you're listening to this, I hope you're getting your pumpkin pie ready and you're gearing up for a great Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. We are so grateful and so thankful for you, our listeners. Mm-hmm. And have a safe and happy holiday. And above all, keep it gay, guys. Keep it gay, everyone. Step three, they're going to raise $2 million. They have a lot of... Fuck, what is it? (laughs) 